don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Welcome to the show, everyone, and thank you for all the great reaction we've had to the appearance of Enda Walsh last week. Oh, McDevitt here with Kieran Murphy. Hey, Murph. Hey, Un, how's it going? Was it Enda's Tony Award-winning plays that had people getting in touch? Was it his poignant memories of David Bowie or his unique insight into one of Hollywood's biggest stars, Kitty and Murphy? No. It was his time in costume as McCool, the hairy Irish wolfhound mascot during the Big Jack years. I mocked urinating on the post, on the goalpost. <laughs> That's the kind of highbrow stuff that grabbed the public's attention. And Indeed. that world exclusive was also enough to take Enda to top spot in the race to become second captain's greatest non-sports person, sports person of 2023, ahead of Conan O'Brien, who lasted just one week at number one. Can Conan's career recover from this sickening blow? We'll have to... I honestly <laughs> don't know on. I don't know. It's pretty much undone his decades of good work. Will Ender Walsh <laughs> last any longer in his pedestal? That's the other question. Coming for the title today is the incredible Rady Pete, singer and musician with Lancome, one of the most extraordinary bands of their generation. They've released four critically acclaimed albums since 2014, driving a reimagining of what can be done with Irish folk and traditional music and pushing it outside of Ireland. Their latest release, False Lancome, has been shortlisted for the biggest music award in the UK, the Mercury Prize. Previous winners, Arctic Monkeys, are up against them this year. Sorry, lads, not happening for you this time. (laughs) This is Lancome's time to shine, guys. When the New York Times recently reported on the fresh wave of traditional music coming out of Ireland, Lancome and Rady Pete were front and centre of the story. They're an absolute phenomenon, Murph. Uh, As you say, like they seem intent on revolutionising what Irish traditional music even means what it sounds like all while respecting the art form but also ripping it up and putting it back together again I think they're about as interesting in arresting a music act as Ireland has produced this century I'm very very pumped about this uh, about this chat Before we go any further though let's just get the rules of the show sorted and our latest greatest non-sports person sports person leaderboard for 2023 please Could have been a contender Could have been somebody Wow, Owen. This might have been the most tumultuous fortnight in the history of our greatest non-sports person, sports person award. Two weeks ago, <laughs> two weeks ago, just two short weeks ago, you'd have gotten short odds indeed on Conan Ham Hans O'Brien water skiing to glory on the back of his 84-point haul. <laughs> the man appeared to have a vice-like grip on the 2023 award. However, from nowhere, Enda Walsh's bombshell last week that he spent the early 90s as the official Irish soccer team's mascot, McCool, has blown our American challenger away. His 85 points is the target now for Rady Pete. And for all our other contestants this year, who must run the gauntlet of my widely respected and in fact beloved scoring algorithm. I don't care who you are, Owen. I'll give you a score out of 100 based on your sporting achievements and your all-time sporting highlight. I am no respecter of reputation, as I will no doubt show in due course with today's guest, the Dublin sensation, Rady Pete. I should mention, Murph, there is a Rady connection to the Jack Charlton years again Go this on. week, believe it or not. No, sadly, she she has never been an Irish football mascot. I know that's exactly where your mind yeah, was going okay. there. But there was a wonderful documentary made a few years ago called Finding Jack Charlton, which many of you will have seen. There's an amazing sequence 
where they show Dave O'Leary's penalty against Romania from 1990 cut together with drone shots of current Dave O'Leary lining yeah. the kick up again for the cameras and really poignant footage of Big Jack himself fishing in his old age. Yes. It's absolutely beautiful. All of it is soundtracked by Lancome's stunning version of The Wild Rover and the music just lifts this story and this song that we all know so well and breeds new life into both of them. So that's where we're going to start today. Tweet us at Second Captains. Email editor at secondcaptains.com. Here's Rady Pete and Lancome with the Wild Rover. I've been a Wild Rover For many You've just been listening to the stunning voice of today's guest on Second Captain Saturday, Rady Pete, the sensational singer and musician with Lancome, one of the groups at the forefront of the surge in popularity of Irish traditional and folk music in the last decade. Described recently by Spider Stacy of the Pogues as the best band in the world. Yeah, that's decent. That's decent, that's praise. decent praise. Yeah, yeah we'll, take, yeah, we'll take that one. Their latest album, False Lancome, has deservedly been shortlisted for the prestigious Mercury Prize in the UK. And in the last few days, the band got a five-star review in The Guardian for their recent Edinburgh gig. Probably nicest of all for Rady herself, just a few weeks ago, one of her idols and a legend of the English folk scene, Shirley Collins, said that Rady's was the best voice she'd heard in a generation. And on top of all that, her cousin is Lindsay Pete, one of the greatest Irish sports people of the last decade. Yeah. Yes. who represented Ireland in basically name a team sport Lindsay P yeah. played for Ireland in it but Rady has been at pains in advance of this interview to stress she did not inherit the same sporting genes as her cousin Rady thanks no. so much first of all for coming to the studio thanks for having me but yeah we're like polar opposites <laughs> like she's like a sports warrior and I'm just like a total failure I mean she's a rugby international basketball international yeah. underage soccer international and yeah. she won an All-Ireland football championship yes. with Dublin an absolute yeah. phenomenon um, yeah no she's absolutely terrifying on a pitch and like she's totally <laughs> di- like she's such a like kind of fun and funny and charismatic person to hang out with like she's mm. totally gas um, and then you watch her play any sport and oh Jesus I wouldn't like to be <laughs> against her like she's terrifying I would want her on my team if I was competing <laughs> This is the kind of thing this is great now this is the kind of thing that gets you big marks with Murphy oh, yeah. Being, oh, yeah. Just being cousins with a great sports person just like That's sports. great yeah thanks yeah. Lindsay yeah, yeah. yeah. great Sports adjacent also also yeah. works fine for me that's, yeah. that's no problem so it's all good You didn't get the same you didn't get that sports bug at any stage? Um, no, no, not <laughs> at all, to be honest. We're more kind of the music outcasts, I would say. Uh, I would say as well, uh, both of our dads are their brothers and they're two of 11 kids. So it's a very big family mm. as well. But like mostly they're they're better at sports, a lot better than I am. But like they're more of a kind of a sporting Right, oh, so family. The, the musicians are outnumbered by the sports people in the, in the wider family. Definitely, definitely, right, yeah. Okay. And I'm going to forget all the other cousins. Sorry, all the other cousins <laughs> who are also really good at sports. It's like there's actually a long list of them, but probably yeah, like, you're probably not as good as uh, if you're listening cousins. You're probably not as good as Lindsay. Let's be honest. Lindsay is the the pride of the Pete family. She yeah. really is. Just like be, we're so proud of her. Before we downplay your sporting achievements entirely, I have heard yeah. that you've got a basketball medal somewhere. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, there's probably a little window into my weird brain. So I, when I was like 
maybe 11 or 10, I was in a basketball tournament and there was I was on a team with this guy called Greg Foley and he was just amazing at basketball. So I won a medal without touching the ball. And he actually told me at the start of the tournament, he was like, don't touch the ball. Don't go anywhere near it. I've got this sorted. But then they gave me a medal and they presented it with me and I like bit of a like I don't know like nudie child I was so ashamed that I went out into the back garden and I buried the medal what? in my parents garden because I knew I didn't deserve it like I was like this is well hold on a second deep you de- shame like you deserve this medal for putting up with the soaring arrogance of Greg Foley he was right though he was really good and he won the, he won the entire tournament like on his own basically yeah, but he can make he went friend- on to be semi-professional I think so but he like, can make friends along the way he doesn't yeah. have to like ride roughshod over the emotions of his still, teammates I was still friends with them. It was just that thing of, you know, when you don't deserve something, undeserved mm. rewards is a horrible feeling, mm. you know. I think I think I'd be happy enough with that, to be honest. You know, you, you played your it, part. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, Greg felt good about things. You know, you you weren't going to rain on Greg's parade. Yeah. It's yeah, Greg's yeah. big day. You were going to ruin it. He had it, a great so. day. Yeah, yeah. So you take the medal for that, if not for your basketball skills. Yeah, just for being nice. Would yeah. you have found it alienating then or just something you just weren't into sports and that, um, that side of things that kind of team sports thing definitely yeah like I suppose I just I lacked the um, I don't know what it is like the intensity like of you know I ha- you know I have to score the goal or have to catch the ball or like I, I never understood why people felt so intensely about it and then if you act like that in a sport everyone starts shouting at you like because they're like what are you doing like just pick it up or like I, I sometimes would get to the ball before everyone else because I'm not like a slow I'm not super slow yeah. But then I didn't know what to do with it. And mm. then people just get annoyed, basically. It's funny, though, isn't it? Because the way, oftentimes the way you come to something is passion passed down through generations yeah. before you. And even within the same extended family, as you note there, there can be some some branches of that tree who are more into sport. And in your case, your your parents obviously were big into music and, and your siblings. So was, was, was that what was going on around you growing up, music? Yeah, definitely. And I think my probably lack of passion for sports is probably because neither of my parents really, like they'll kind of get on board for the really big things mm. or anything Lindsay's involved in. But um. Oh, it's going to make us sound really weird. <laughs> um, yeah, like it was basically, there was a lot of instruments in the house and, and it was all traditional music and folk music. So my parents both played and me, I have three sisters as well. I'm one of four girls. So me and all my sisters would have played and it was just like, you know, and it sounds very, very hippie-ish when I recount it now as an adult, you know. But it was just kind of part of, it was really part of life, you know what I mean? It wasn't... Um, don't ever really remember deciding to do it or anything. It was just... Yeah. And like in the same way as that like sport always freaked me out and always made me feel like a landed alien, music always made me feel at home. You know, like that's the thing when you're really bad at something it makes you appreciate when you have like a bit more of an ability for mm-hmm. something. And I just felt, I felt comfortable with music. I liked it. I, I found it endlessly fascinating. And also like, I knew I wasn't bad at it. You know what I mean? Mm. I kind of was like, yeah, this is relatively easy for me. How soon did you realise that? Like how early on did you realise that you had a capacity for it? Quite soon, to be honest. Uh, like probably when I was like maybe five or six. I really? Did, I, honestly, yeah, because I did notice. I was like, hey, like I... I can do that and only some of the other ones in the class can do it now. Um, but then I, like once I then started hanging out with like, you know, other children who were playing music the same age as me, that's when I started hanging out with like uh, Mick O'Brien's daughter, Aoife, and she was literally a prodigy on on the violin. Like I'm not mm. saying I was that level, but I, I realised that I had 
an e- an easier time than some of the people trying to do it, you know, and that it didn't stress me out too much and that I wanted to as well, you know, that it was actually appealing. So young to come to that realisation. I've got a four and a half year old at home, Murph, and he can't play the concertina to save his life. <laughs> I've got to get him. What does he do in his shape? Life? It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, shape, what was going on? What music was being played? Was it a lot of trad in the house? Because I'm interested to say you, there was no, no point that you chose to do this. It was just there. Is that yeah. the same with the music that was being played, the kind of music that was being played in the house? Was it was it trad? Yeah, it would have been all kind of trad and maybe like, you know, like furthest would have been a bit of Planksty, which was, you know, a bit radical or whatever. <laughs> um, and like in terms of my parents, like I think the only things my dad ever gave to me was like he gave me uh, a David Bowie album and uh, I think a Nina Simone album. And that's it outside of trad. But then when I was like, I think about 10, someone gave me um, a mini disc. Do you remember them? Yeah. Mini disc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They gave me a mini disc compilation and it had a Radiohead song in it. And that was uh, where I got, I just totally like departed from listening to trad music. I kept playing it and I yeah. loved playing it. But it was more like that became more like an activity for me. And then I started listening to like getting really, really into all different types of music then. And I, like, I only actually came back to listening to traditional music as a recorded form, mm. uh, maybe in my 20s, because like my whole teens, I was just listening to anything but, but I was concurrently playing it, which mm. sounds weird, but it made total sense to me. That, those other music, musical genres that you're listening to, those other bands, were you trying to learn something from all this or were you just doing, listening to these because you enjoyed to listen to the music? I just enjoyed it, but um, like there's a kind of a subconscious thing is happening, I think, um, if you have a kind of a musical brain and you're absorbing music, especially something that I find confusing, I'll find most appealing to listen to. Like if I can't figure out what it is, I, I'll kind of obsessively listen to it until I figured out what's happening in it. And your whole life as you're kind of absorbing all these different music types that you listen to, like your brain is absorbing it and it it is slowly figuring it out. You know what I mean? Was there any one record that got you back to trad music then? You said you came back to it or that made you actively want to listen to traditional music? Uh, Yeah. And actually, I was wrong earlier when I said my 20s. It was it was earlier than that. So there's this one called The Missing Liberty Tapes, which is a recording of a gig. That was actually the promo gig for Andy Irvine and Paul Brady's album they did together. Oh, man. And <laughs> it's like just a bootleg of yeah. their gig. And that was the thing. I loved it. Well, really what loved was it, it about that? Oh, it was just kind of a bit wild. And also, it's not just straight traditional music, you know, because that's the thing. Like, you can listen to a really amazing player, like someone like Tommy Peoples or something like that, and like just be like totally marveling at their ability, you know. But the Liberty Tapes record, and also the likes of Planksty, what they're doing is they're doing arrangements, basically, of these songs and tunes, mm. which is like, you know, I've gone on to do that then with Lancome. So it's that thing of adding different elements. Basically, you're making something new out of it. And that's kind of what, you know, I'd, I'd be at pains to state that like Lancome, what Lancome's doing isn't traditional. We are warping it like beyond where it's meant to probably be. But that's because we're kind of taking it as a starting point and making mm. kind of audio art out of it. You yeah. know what I mean? In the same way as like a painter or like a novelist or whatever. You use it as your departure point. And that's, I suppose, what I was finding interesting in those recordings was that they weren't just playing the tunes. 
you yeah. know they were doing something and trying to create an atmosphere yeah well the, the finished album I've never heard the the bootleg tapes but the finished album is the album that got me into traditional yeah, music it's as amazing well. it's just utterly I mean it's the I, it might be the best Irish album ever recorded what I kind of love about it was that obviously Andy Irvine who's a, a previous guest on this show and that was such a thrill as well but he he was in Planksteen they recorded Arthur McBride in whatever it was 1974 and then this album comes out in 1977 and they just do another version of Arthur McBride because there's always something new to say in the song they, they didn't feel like oh well we've, we've kind of done that or they'll play it I'm sure the bootleg tapes sound totally different to the album as well they do and there's loads you can just hear his brilliant crack you can literally hear people yeah. like <laughs> whooping and you can hear them making mistakes and laughing and stuff yeah, it's yeah. just really good but yeah like that kind of uh, rehashing sounds like it's got a negative yeah. connotation but like reviving more I suppose of the songs perpetually like that's all part of the tradition you know and it's this kind of it's almost like a self-regulating thing because if a song isn't a very entertaining song or if it's not a very good song, it's probably not going to survive mm. because it, it takes like hundreds of people to love the song, yeah. learn it and sing it for it to survive for the hundreds of years, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, like Arthur McBride is an absolute banger. <laughs> Brilliant song. <laughs> and these, some of these songs have survived hundreds of, hundreds of years. Some of these things that you're going back and reinterpreting are centuries old songs yeah. that we're probably lucky still to have today. Yeah, and sometimes luck really is the the factor, you know, and that's where um, the likes of collectors like Tom Munley and all these kind of people really play a role that like if people weren't going around uh, recording, field recordings of people collecting the songs, we wouldn't have, you know, even half of what we have now. You know, and that that idea of of realizing that it's um, important, especially like all of the traveller singers and all of their versions, and how important they were that they were actually recorded. Like it took people like that to to have the vision that this was an important piece of culture that had to be noted down. You know. Yeah, and these archives are just they're an amazing resource. I mean, I, I my uncle Mick found an interview that his grandmother had done with Leo Corduff and it became part of the UCD archive which I think is now part of the the National Archive but it was 90 minutes of her singing songs and telling stories Oscar Elga what an amazing thing to find just absolutely amazing so I mean that's an amazing thing for a family obviously but it's also that lived experience of West Clare uh, from a century ago the work that these people did is genuinely, it's a gift to the to the country, isn't it? You know, It is, yeah. And it takes people who are really painstaking and kind of like sort of fanatical about what they do and, you know, like for us to get the benefits of it, basically. There are also some unexpected backstories thrown up when you start digging into this stuff. I heard you talking about what put the blood before the song yeah. from your first album and what you found when you dug further into that song which by the way is nearly 250 years old yeah that was really <laughs> sinister yeah because I do love I, I love um, kind of looking into the, the songs and the, the history around them now not as much as my band colleague Ian Lynch obviously who is like <laughs> you know he's like a scholar on it but I do like it. But that one was actually just a little bit too dark for me. I was like, oh, God. Uh, so basically, uh, it's like a murder ballad where um, a brother murders his brother and they don't really give a reason. It was about the break, the the cutting of a rod. Um, basically, what it seemed to be inferring, because I found that there's all this codified language in the songs, like such as, like, you know, the Lock Hospital 
turns out Lock Hospital wasn't a hospital. It was just the name for any hospital for venereal disease. Okay. So that's a code. So if that's in the song, you know that they're dying of syphilis or whatever. I didn't know that. I thought the Lock Hospital was a place. Yeah. Um, So this one, it was that the codified language was basically, it was uh, to do with incest. Right. So I was like that. Now I am uncomfortable mm. with. I so don't know did, if I like that. So did you but find that, it, that you that's, found that's that one out? interpretation? So yeah, it, it yeah. may not be true. And the thing is, is that if verses get omitted here and there through, like you know, human memory or whatever, or like things get warped, because obviously it's like Chinese whispers, that sometimes you end up with these kind of mysterious fragments that have survived, and you you can't really work out the full story. You said that particular interpretation of that song was too dark, even for you. Even for me, Which yeah. <laughs> does indicate that you, you tend towards the darkness at times, Rady. What is it that appeals to you about that side? Of- uh, I think all, all emotions have a place, you know. All human emotions have a place. You can't be happy all the time. You can't be sad all the time. And I just find it very cathartic to get out some of the kind of sadder emotions or what you might refer to as negative, but they're not inherently mm. negative. They're just, you know maybe on the sadder end of the spectrum or the, um, you know, I just find it easy to connect with and I find it like cathartic to get it out in music. Like I'm not like a really sombre person in my life or anything, you know what I mean? But I I think, but me and the other members of Lancome, it has to be said, like we do tend towards the kind of darker material. Is that, that is true. And sound as well. Is that fair to say, you know, say with, even with the new album, it's, it's beautiful and it's sweet at times. It's also, it can feel overwhelming and I'm going to say vaguely terrifying at other times. Terrifying. No, that's deliberate. It's it, meant to be deliberate. horror. Okay, okay. So it's meant to be like, um, sort of like two sides of a coin. Mm. So we actually deliberately made the sweeter parts really sweet. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the likes of Lord of Boar, that song, like that's yeah. meant to be like really sweet and kind of like a break from the rest of it and then other parts like the the first song Go Dig My Grave that's meant to be horror at the end it's like because a lot of the time I think when we're arranging things we basically just want to make a film to go with them like we want to be doing soundtracks basically yeah. so we're being like hey you know hire <laughs> us to, to write a, a you know a score a, a horror film please mm. <laughs> well that's so interesting right because the first couple of times I heard it I was trying to figure out what this was really reminding me of other than like kind of stuff from the folk uh, kind of genre and it was Johnny Greenwood's Excellent. soundtrack of right. There Will that's Be Blood that's what yeah. we want and anything <laughs> by Mika Le- Levy or any of that kind yeah. of stuff I think we're just really into soundtracks and I think even I'm going to say from our second album onwards we have literally just been trying to make soundtracks without the films mm. people have talked to me a lot about the imagery they get from listening to it and I have loads of imagery I always have different imagery for different songs mm. um, so maybe with you know without the film you fill in the blanks yourself in a more interesting way yeah our guest today on Second Captain Saturday is Rady Pete, the brilliant singer and musician with Lancome. The critics have been lining up to shower the band with praise for their stunning new album. But will Murph here be as generous when assessing Rady's sporting life? Rady, how are you feeling? Are you ready to do this? Oh, I'm feeling nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're back after these. Second Captain, first Captain, whatever. You're listening to Second Captain Saturday with Owen and Murph. We are honoured to be joined in studio today by Lancome's Rady Pete, who's been downplaying her sporting talents, it's fair to say, but has revealed that she does have a basketball medal stashed somewhere in the family's back garden. (laughs) And she's got a very strong connection with an iconic 
sporting institution, a football club on the north side of Dublin. We'll get into that shortly, Ready? because all of this adds up to extra points at Murph here. Can I ask you first of all about another north side institution, the Cobblestone in Smithfield? Oh, yeah. You guys were quite vocal about the plans to demolish most of that to make way for a hotel a couple of years ago, which thankfully didn't come to anything in the end. How important a place is the Cobblestone for you? Oh, yeah. Like, it, it is the home of uh, traditional music in Dublin. And we would have played a lot of our early gigs there and, like, sessions there. And, yeah, it's definitely where we tried out a lot of <laughs> what we were doing on, you know, people and gauging their reactions, <laughs> uh, good and bad. And they used to put on this uh, celebration of traveller music every year. And we were always really honoured that we were the only settled people who were ever invited to play right? Yeah. Uh, and we'd always like you know learn loads going there and like th- that's the thing that cobblestone is also like a symbol you know people need to preserve where these things happen so maybe if you're not in Dublin it's not the cobblestone it's somewhere else but you need to fight for the spaces where you're able to you know basically let culture flourish and the thing is is that like you can't say like oh great it worked on the cobblestone now we're, we're fine it's it's a like that is just a wider concern people need to have for all kinds of cultural spaces. So like if it's art studios for rent or like walls where people can do graffiti or like you need to think of it in a way broader way than just the cobblestone. The cobblestone is one place, it's one symbol for one community of people. But people need to be angry about their cultural spaces being taken over by hotels. Who Who's going to stay in those hotels? Like what are they going to be going to see? There'll be nothing there like. It'd yeah. just be like a totally soulless city if we let it become that kind of a city. Is it going that way though? Is that your fear? Oh Jesus! To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I would, I would be very yeah. Um, on days where I'm feeling pessimistic about it, it seems it feels like it's going that way, and then you find kind of pockets of, you know, uh, various kind of like underground uh, groups, people, or like you know, just communities doing good things for communities, you know. But yeah, people need to actively combat this kind of what's happening to the landscape of the city you know and they do need to be angry about it I think What age were you when you first played there? I think I was about 14 Right Yeah because my dad used to bring me in and we'd have a half pint (laughs) and uh, and play but yeah no I've been I've been there like for Oh God, like a lot of my life. Yeah. So was that, can you remember those days? Was that quite intimidating to step into a venue like that and sing for people or um, play for people? I wasn't singing for people. I didn't really sing in public for, I actually only heard channel singing for the first time when I was about 12. Um, and before then I was just singing along with Nina Simone and all these <laughs> uh, Motown albums I had. So I, yeah, kind of got a crash course in channel singing um, from I went to school with a, an exceptionally talented singer called Roisin Chambers and uh, she kind of uh, opened the door for me to understand it and, and try it a bit. But yeah, I don't know if it was a confidence thing. Um, I just didn't really think I had a very like particularly good voice or anything. I was just like, yeah, like, I don't know why I'd sing a song, you know. I don't know, like... Inter- interesting. Yeah. It is interesting <laughs> that it ended up being my... Like, I, I, I never really thought of it as being, like, what's a good singer? Like, I went to this primary school where everybody just sang and everybody mm. just sang in harmonies with each other and it was just, like, more about, like, making the harmonies and I loved that. I think I get more of a thrill from going in and playing in a really good session than I do playing really? a really big venue yeah like for me it's not really about how big the venue is like I just like making the music uh, with like my band colleagues I really enjoy like performing the arrangements we've made it's a really it's a, it's a very kind of feeling of closeness I suppose Um, 
I don't remember being intimidated. I remember being like delighted that I got mm. a half point. <laughs> um, and that it was just a very big session. And I, 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 I didn't, my dad kept just talking about this place and I yeah. knew it was important to him. So is, is that kind of what sets folk music and Irish traditional music apart from other art forms in that it's not just that Irish traditional music is it can be played by a band that's together. It's literally a, you plug yourself into a community where you could join a session with four other people who play, play together every night. You join in and you're expected to join in and you're expected to create something new or add something to an existing session. That does really mark it apart, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a collaborative community experience, you know, like and you can obviously go off on your own and prote- like perfect your technique and, you know, do a, like lots of solo playing. But like essentially it's just this constant collaboration and like, yeah, it's a, it's a door into a community. You know what I mean? So as you say, like I could go into a pub with musicians I've never met before and we can... Uh, you know play tunes together and play is the word like it really is play like you know the children play it's just Mm. like it's just fun you know what I mean and it's um, yeah like I think a band is it is actually a departure already as soon as you're a band (laughs) you're a departure from the tradition you Mm. know what I mean like you're, you're doing another thing then you've kind of put that to one side and you're doing another thing because really traditional music is just about connecting with other musicians, learning tunes off them, having a nice time and just going home. Mm. Okay, Rady, we're getting close to the point that we rank your sporting life here. Let's get building those points. What is your connection to one of Ireland's most famous football clubs? So my partner is the current COO of Bowes, yep. Daniel Lambert. Very I've never good. said that in public, but it is true. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I have, I'm quite sports adjacent. This is amazing. So, well, by sports adjacent, you mean basically the happiness of your entire weekend is dictated by what happens in Daly Man Park on a oh, Friday stop. night. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That makes me want Bowes to win. You know, yeah. I'm like everyone's happier when Bowes win. Yeah. Do you get to any games? Uh, not these days because we have a young child, but um, I used to, but I'm worried I might be a bad luck omen because they always seem to lose when I go. Mm. Uh, and then this one time, the one time I ever bet on the game, they lost as well. So I think <laughs> I should just leave them alone um, to win. Does it bother you if they win or lose? Oh God, I'm sorry, Dan, but honestly... No, <laughs> but he's always saying he's always talking about how you know results aren't important and you mm. need to make sure you know be philosophical t- about it. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like more about the club and the you know the the identity of the club. And he's right. So yes. you know, and you should remind him. He of this still at gets like, upset when yeah, they lose. At though. like nine forty-seven every Friday night, you should definitely yeah. say that to him. You know, you know, it's really more about your the initiatives after a heartbreaking yeah. two-one <laughs> loss when they were one 0 up going into injury time or whatever. Is there a similarity with football and music in that way? Because exactly how you describe music and how you can just plug into that community, it feels quite similar, I think, with following a football team. That's what I've kind of uh, realised, kind of just by becoming part of Bowes uh, through Dan. And like, I hadn't realised any of that from the outside. You know, I thought football was football and I thought there you know, was no place for people who don't like football in a football club. And then I kind of, 
just saw how it's way more than that. Like it's a community and it's all about like, it's again, the similar thing that links it to music and especially traditional music is the intergenerational thing mm. where it's like, you know, you have um, grandparents, parents, kids, like and that, that people have like a lifelong connection with this thing and that it really brings them all together on, when, you know, like on Friday night or whatever. And that it's really more about just like seeing those people and those exchanges and like kind of having a sense of community and like, you know, we don't go to church anymore in Ireland. Like, well, some people do, but generally the majority of people don't go to church. So you can't just like get rid of that and not have some kind of sense of community and purpose to take its place. So mm-hmm. that's where something like, you know, the local guy clubs or the League of, League of Ireland clubs or traditional music or whatever, they need to be where you find your sense of community and where you connect with people because that like also the pandemic really showed like what the lack of that feels and looks like and it's it's not good you know it's beautifully explained and bows in particular are involved in a lot of initiatives within the community outside of football anyway a lot of social initiatives their refugees welcome jersey there's a christmas toy drive for kids in direct provision do you get involved in this kind of stuff I do actually, yeah, because like I, I um, like as I say, I don't go anywhere near the football matches, but I've helped with like the majority of the toy drives. I have played to the prisoners in Mount Joy as part of a Bohemians thing, um, because I am, I'm actually really, really proud of all the work that they do. I think it's excellent, it's brilliant, and like, yeah. it's not just lip service; like they literally live those values all the time, and it's really there's a load of just like amazing people involved, you know. Didn't you wear the Refugees Welcome jersey on stage? I did in Vicar Street and then I said into the microphone, I don't even like football. <laughs> and then they let we that was recorded for a radio RT radio yeah, special yeah. and they left in me saying <laughs> I don't even like football. Oh no. That, that, that's extra points by the way. Yeah, I know. The image of Radio on stage in yeah. that jersey. It's yeah. One of the coolest jerseys that's been designed, I'd yeah. say, in Irish sport. Last Absolutely. The, 10, I suppose years. the fact that you said you don't even really like football, it did at least offset any possible criticism of Shamrock Rovers fans in the crowd. Yeah, least, yeah. You, know. you need to keep the Rovers yeah, fans exactly. on board. Exactly. I doubt Actually. we have any shamrock fans, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, yeah, no, obviously it was more about the, you know, the refugees yeah, welcome message, especially what was going on that particular week. You know, there was just a lot of anti-refugee sentiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to be a bit explicit about it, you know. Do you play any sport yourself? <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I used to run. I used to run every day, but I um, haven't gone back to it since having my daughter. Um, I just find like that's the last thing I want to do with my tiny increments of free time. <laughs> well, when you did run, would you listen to music at the same time? That's a key question. Yes, I because actually I at the start didn't. And I was like, this is so boring. I can't do it. It's so boring. And then I'm, I, just, I'm just with you so hard on this, by the way. Uh, Owen is a runner. Yeah. Owen's a big time runner. No, I can't listen to music because it just distracts me. What? You just do it in silence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the only times I actually listen to my own thoughts, (laughs) such as they are. And who needs those? So hang on, you must be, you have to carefully curate your playlist, I would imagine, then for running. Yeah, so Is it all Lancome is what I'm asking? No, God, no. (laughs) Jesus, like if Lancome came on anywhere, I'd be asking, I can't listen to Lancome. I cannot. It's excruciating. Um, but, um, really? Yeah, no, honestly, if it comes on in public, I'll leave the room. 
It's not nice to listen to your own music. You really? can be proud of it, but never want to hear it ever again. Wow. Okay, so you don't support Bose and you find listening to your own band <laughs> excruciating. They're the headlines in today's interview. Yeah, <laughs> so I think we sound very like negative. No, it, uh, it's more like, um, it, so this is going to make me sound a bit weird, but I have to run in time to whatever the song is. No, that makes okay. sense. I yeah. can't yeah. run out of time with it because it freaks me out. So it's more about like the pacing um, Krautrock kind of 70s 1970s German Krautrock because it's got that you, you want that kind of sense of like perpetual motion. Like, gotcha. Things that are good driving music yeah, are also okay. good yeah, yeah, yeah. running music. Yeah, yeah. Or like the one actually for setting the pace and like is probably the start always is do you know Robert Palmer Johnny and Mary do 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 I run yeah I'm really slow runner but um, it's all that kind of um, yeah and like there's ABBA on it there's like this Dublin band No Spill Blood on it but it has to be kind of it has to be the kind of music that is going to help you run up a hill basically Mm. what about running up that hill it, that is also on it yeah good bit of Kate Bush yeah. you could actually just be literal about this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah before Murph ranks your sporting life once and for all we do need you to pick a highlight from your glittering sporting career here Rady please oh no okay so first I need to explain the concept of um, socially pressurised catching Okay, you okay. definitely do need to explain that concept. So this is for anyone who is so bad at sports like myself that uh, the idea of catching things while other people are watching you is mortifying. There may be people listening who know what I mean. So like if someone like throws you a set of keys and they're like, think fast and you have to like catch them or like pa- they bought you a packet of crisps in the pub and they like throw you the packet of crisps. And you like have to catch it, but like seem kind of non- non-worried and yeah, nonchalant. Yeah. Um, it's very, very hard for people who are very bad at sports. So okay. I do try catch it. But the worst one ever was I was in a pub in Dingle in County Kerry with the concertina player Cormac Begley. Hi, Cormac. Mm. I'm going to rat you out. <laughs> and he, um, from across the pub, we had a few points. And from across the pub, he threw one of his concertinas at me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm talking like several, several meters through the concertina. And they're okay. really heavy. They're made out of metal and wood and springs. They're really delicate. I knew it was probably about 100 years old and probably worth about seven grand. <laughs> so I was just like, I was looking at him going like, I had this moment of terror where I was just like, he doesn't know how bad at sports I am. Why has he done this? Like, why does he think I can catch it? But like, I was so worried about the concertina that I did catch it. And it was, <sighs> I did it like, I did like a dive and like I did a really good catch. Like wow. it was, it just was instinct super took, impressive. Instinct took over like, Totally. And I think that's the thing. If I cared that much about the ball, <laughs> maybe I would have been good at sports. If that's it, what if I the ball realized. was 100 years old and worth thousands of euro, maybe yeah. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. But he, it gave me the intensity needed to make the catch. He obviously know? had confidence in you. I think he's just a madman. I don't know why he did it. I don't know why he okay, did it. Okay, that is a very good sporting highlight. Rady, yes. you've been amazing company today. It's been really brilliant. Thanks the least we could me. do now is to finally put you out of your misery. Murph. Could you please rank this sporting life of Rady Pete? You don't understand. I could have had class. You don't have stars in this game, Mrs. Weaver. Well, what do you have then? People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. <sighs> Rady.
Ready, this has all been going swimmingly. So why do I have to do you wrong like this? Because it's the rules, goddammit. I don't make exceptions, not even for voices of their generation. So <laughs> this is the moment that I assess your all-time sporting highlight, pick an athlete that I feel most closely resembles you and your sporting achievements, and then give you a score out of 100 to see if you can overtake Ender Walsh's 85 points from last week, which currently has him in pole position to win our non-sports person, sports person of the year award for 2023. Let's be honest... That's probably not going to happen here. Aww. But you can avoid, you can avoid bottom spot, or at the very least, separate yourself from the second Captain Saturday sporting dregs that is Blind Boy Boat Club, who went home with the pathetically low score of 42 points. <laughs> so, your sporting achievements are modest. But your steadfast refusal to get caught up in the medals, the fame, the glory, that's interesting to me. I could definitely see Stephen Cluxton burying an All-Ireland medal that he felt he hadn't contributed sufficiently towards winning for his team in his back garden. And of course, there is the catching as well. So that's who you're reminding me of right now. Humility is an often underrated He probably has ability. buried at least two of his All-Ireland medals in the garden. I would say 2018, yeah. 2017. I mean, what did <laughs> he even do him. those years? You definitely get points for your spectacular full-length diving catch to save many, many thousands of euro worth of concertina. And introducing a new phrase into the lexicon, like the Penenka or the Fosbury flop. I also love that. Socially pressurised catching. Come on, it's a real thing, Owen. Yeah, no, it is. It's a real thing. More points for wearing a Bulls refugee welcome. Bulls refugees welcome jersey in Vicar Street a few months ago, obviously. However, there are limits to my generosity. Socially pressurised catching is one thing when there's expensive musical kit at stake, but mostly we're just talking about catching a packet of scampi fries. Let's not beat around the bush here. On the other hand, you did come into studio, which your fellow Bulls fan, Irvin Welsh, currently living in London, wasn't bothered to do. It's also a lot harder to be rude to someone face-to-face as opposed to over Zoom. So I'll give you 60 points, plus 15.5 points for coming into studio, which is enough to take you to 75 and a half points, one half point clear, of Irvin Welsh, who remains yes. in last place. Happy. Ready, Pete. I beat Irvin Welsh. This yes. has been your sporting life. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Delighted. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of points for coming into studio, but well, that's the algorithm. The numbers, I mean, the algorithm. I know. There's no disputing. You it. don't. You scientifically don't. sound. Yeah, I'm honoured. I'm honoured. <laughs> we are honoured as well. Ready, Pete. Thank you so much. Round of applause, please. Yeah. Thank you so God, much. Thank you. That is the astounding and let's be honest, completely terrifying Go Dig My Grave from Lancome's Mercury Prize nominated new album and a pretty perfect example of that cinematic sound that Rady said they were aiming for. Yeah, and I'm glad you said terrifying. It, it, apparently we're right to call it that. It's literally supposed to be terrifying. Would you like to see the movie to which this is the soundtrack? I mean, that's that's another question. I'd be want to be in the right frame of mind for that movie, Murph. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to see it. Yeah, I think that's about right. But it's 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 an incredible song and it's an incredible sound, isn't it? Just the whole thing is just immersive yeah. in a 
in a sometimes extremely uncomfortable way. Big thanks to Rady Pete for making it into studio for that chat. How brilliant was she? I'm not sure the introduction of pressurised social catching is going to do much good in society, though. I'm already mm. thinking about it myself. I'm feeling nervous about the next time someone throws me a set of keys or a bag of crisps. No, no. And I've ne- literally never had this issue until right now. <laughs> no, you got to just get in that flow state that you've always been in. Could be like the putting yips in golf or something. You know? yeah. so I'm going to yeah. forget about that just as soon as I've heard that phrase. We've only got two shows left in the current series, folks. Enda Welsh is now guaranteed a podium finish, but Conan might have to make way for both of our final two guests, one of whom, by the way, is the amazing actor Michael Sheen. Can't wait for that one. But for now, this has been a Second Captain's production for RTE. The show is produced by Killian Down. Mark Horgan is a series producer for Second Captains. Our thanks to Johnny Lanagan and RTE. Stay tuned to Radio 1 for a new episode of Doc on 1. Please do check out secondcaptains.com for our full complement of daily shows. You might just like them. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>